The Old Testament reading for today is Genesis 2, 1 through 3 again. Uh, We've read this text many times over the last few weeks, and I want to keep it in focus. Uh, The New Testament reading is Acts 20, verses 7 through 12, actually. Acts 20, verses 7 through 12. My mistake uh, that Phil um, mentioned the wrong verse, but I didn't communicate well with him this week. Genesis 2, 1 through 3, and Acts 20, 7 through 12. Let us give ourselves now to the reading of God's most holy word. Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let us go now to Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Here we are uh, considering the practice of the apostolic church. We are uh, in the middle of of Paul's missionary journeys, uh, and and we we see what it was that the churches were doing in those days. And here in Acts 20, verse 7, we read, On the first day of the week, when we, who wrote the book of Acts, brothers and sisters, it was a Luke, the same man who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and here we see a we indicating that he was there present uh, with Paul and the others. When we were gathered together to break bread, uh, notice here it was on the first day of the week that they gathered together to break bread, and Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, And a young man named Eutychius, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And becoming overwhelmed by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May the Lord bless the preaching of it and our application of it as well. Uh, Brothers and sisters, this is now the sixth sermon on the topic of the Sabbath day. Uh, We will have one more after this, Lord willing. Uh, We have so far considered the Sabbath as it was in the Garden of Eden, as it was originally given to Adam and to Eve before the fall. We have considered the Sabbath day from the time of Adam after the fall to the time of Moses and, and in his day under the Mosaic Covenant. We've considered uh, the, time, the, the Sabbath day from, from Moses to the time of Christ. And also we have considered the Sabbath day as Christ himself observed it prior to his resurrection and also how he observed the Sabbath day after his resurrection. I think that was an interesting thing to focus upon. Uh, Christ kept the Sabbath in his ministry, uh, the Old Covenant Sabbath, but when he rose from the dead, he made a practice of meeting with his disciples on the first day of the week, on Sunday, when they were gathered together to bless them and to encourage them. Now what we will do today is we will consider the practice of the apostolic and the early church when it comes to the Sabbath day. The question that, that is before us is, 
Uh, Did the apostolic and early church have a practice of meeting on a particular day and treating that day as holy? And if so, which day was it? When I refer to the apostolic church, I am referring to the church in, in the time of the apostles, when the apostles of Christ were still alive and ministering. Where do we go to to learn of what the apostolic church did? Uh, Well, the place to go is the book of Acts. There we hear of the Acts of the Apostles, what it was that they did uh, in their ministry after Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father and before they passed away. We can also go to the letters uh, written by the apostles. Those letters were written to Christians, to churches, instructing them as to how they were to live under the new covenant applying the truths of of Christ and the truths communicated in the Gospels to the New Testament churches. Even the book of Revelation is helpful to us as we consider uh, the apostolic church. For there John, remember, is writing to the churches to encourage them to live in Christ. Where do we go to, to hear about the early church? Well, when I refer to the early church, I am talking about that next generation of, of, of Christians and, and Christian leaders after the apostles passed from the scene. Uh, so the early church, uh, where do we go to find out what the practice of the early church was? We read the writings of the early church fathers. There we can gain some insight into what their practice was. Now, of course, their writings and their practice is not authoritative for us. Only the Word of God is. But there is some benefit to say, Well, how how did these early church fathers teach? What did they say? Uh, Many of them came into contact with the apostles themselves, and therefore their opinion is of of great value. One thing I should say before we continue on in our study is that not everything we read in the scriptures is prescriptive. Sometimes it is only descriptive. What do I mean by that? Uh, What I mean is that when we are reading uh, in the Bible, Old Testament or New, t- sometimes we come across stories and those stories are simply describing to us what happened, but they are not telling us what we should do. Uh, obviously, there are, um, th- there are times where, where, where this is obvious to us, right? There are many uh, stories recorded for us in the pages of Holy Scripture that, that are bad. Of course, we should not do these things, but that we are having described to us what actually happened. Uh, that is why it is sometimes difficult to, to draw meaning out of or to make application from the Holy Scriptures where things are being described to us. I think the same could be said of uh, the sermon last week. What did we see Jesus doing uh, in His resurrection Uh, from his resurrection and before his ascension, he gathered with his disciples when they were together on Sunday. And I admitted to you from the outset that if this were the only evidence for Sunday being the, the Christian Sabbath, the new Sabbath day, if this were the only evidence, it would actually be very weak evidence. But when we consider what Christ did, what his practice was in combination with everything that we know about the Sabbath day from Genesis to Revelation, all of a sudden this becomes very intriguing. We see that Christ instituted something new. He had a new practice of meeting with his disciples when they were assembled together. And when did he do it? On Sunday, the first day of the week, the day of his resurrection. Uh, The same thing needs to be said when we a dip into the book of Acts. The book of Acts is filled with descriptions of what the early church uh, was doing. Not all of the, the things that they did are prescriptive, though. 
not all of the things that they did are to be imitated by us or to be done by us. For example, uh, the apostles themselves made a practice of going up to the temple uh, at the hour of prayer and, and, and they're ministering at the temple. Does that mean we must do the same thing? The answer is no, it has to do with their context, that they were ministering to Jews and preaching the gospel to Jews initially in their, the early days of their ministry. And so there they went to do it. It is not prescriptive, only descriptive. Uh, but we see that, in fact, the early church did have a practice of gathering together on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, Sunday, the day of Christ's resurrection. And we, when we observe that, And when we observe their practice and combine it with everything that we know about the Sabbath day, all of a sudden we see that something has changed. Uh, This this day, this holy day has shifted from Saturday to Sunday. There is a theological reason, though, for it happening. There is a historical reason for it happening. The Christ has come. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And therefore, the new covenant people of God are to gather together on Sunday, the Lord's day. It is the Lord's Day Sabbath. The first point that I will make in the sermon, there will only be two uh, broad points, is that the apostolic church kept the Lord's Day Sabbath. The apostolic church clearly kept the Lord's Day Sabbath. Uh, When the apostles were alive, they themselves gathered with the church on Sunday, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, the day where Christ rose from the dead, and they taught the church to do so also. I want to go first of all to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We're going to look at a few texts uh, in the New Testament, and so you need to be ready to turn the pages of your Bible today. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Here we read, When the day of Pentecost arrived, They were all together in one place. Take note of this. Who is they? It is the followers of Christ, the disciples of Christ. They were all together in one place. Take note of this. What what do we have described here? The, the, The people of God, the followers of Christ, have gathered together. They have assembled. They are now doing what we call church. Uh, They are assembled together. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The thing to notice here, and this passage I think is often overlooked when we discuss uh, the topic of, of the Sabbath or the Christian Sabbath or the Lord's Day. The thing to notice here is that this day, the day of Pentecost, on this year, actually fell on Sunday, on Sunday, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. Pentecost, it's the Greek name uh, meaning 50th, for the Israelite Feast of Weeks, which you can read about in the book of Leviticus. Um, it, It means 50, it is the Greek name for the Israelite Feast of Weeks, And this is when the people of God were to celebrate the spring harvest. Uh, The feast took place 50 days after the offering of the sheaf of the first fruits at the time of Passover and unleavened bread. So do you remember that Jesus did indeed celebrate the Passover with his disciples? And then if you begin to count from there, uh, you come to the Passover day. And in this particular year, it fell on a Sunday. And what were the disciples doing on this Sunday, on this day that is called Passover? They were assembled together, all in one place. 
and what happened when the disciples were all together in one place? Well, on this particular Passover and on this particular Sunday, the promised Holy Spirit was given to the church. And I believe this is very significant. It, in fact, sets the tone. Remember what Christ told His disciples prior to His death and even after His resurrection. He comforted them with these words, I will not leave you alone. You're not going to be orphans. I am going to send to you the Helper, the the promised Holy Spirit. In fact, the New Covenant Age is called the Age of the Spirit. There is going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit like never seen before upon God's people. All will know God from the least of them to the greatest. They will be renewed to the very heart. These were the promises of the prophets of old. And Christ is saying to His people, that day is here. He dies. He goes into the grave. He rises again. For 40 days he walks amongst his disciples, and on Sunday, the day of Pentecost, the disciples are all together in one place. And what happens on that Sunday except for the promised Holy Spirit is given or is poured out? And I am saying that this sets the tone for the rest of the book of Acts. This sets the tone for the apostolic church. The thing communicated here is that Christ will be present with his people by the power of of the Holy Spirit when they assemble together on the Lord's day in obedience to the command of Christ. Is Christ with you always, brothers and sisters? Yes, He is. He is always with us. He will be to the very end of the age. Is He with you personally? Yes, He is. You, singular, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But is He also with us, plural, corporately, Yes, in a very powerful way. When we gather together, where two or more are together, He is here with us in in the midst of us. We have to remember this, that we collectively are also the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, The Spirit is with us. Christ is with us even now. And when does He meet with His people to bless them, to encourage them, to strengthen them? It is on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, the day of His resurrection. This is the Christian Sabbath. So do you see that... In Acts 2, the the stage is actually set. Christ walked with His disciples for 40 days after His resurrection. He met with them on what day? Remember what Luke told us in his Gospel? On, On Sunday, the Lord's Day. Remember those disciples on the road to Emmaus? Remember how He made Himself known to them in the breaking of the bread? Remember all of that? That was His practice in His resurrection. He ascends, but then Pentecost comes and is Christ now absent from His church? Is, is, is he, has He left them alone? Has He left them orphans? No, as the apostles gather together again on the day of Pentecost, which was Sunday, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, the day of His resurrection, the Spirit is poured out. Christ is present with His people uh, through the Holy Spirit, through the agency of the Holy Spirit. The tone is set, therefore, uh, for the rest of the book of Acts, for the, the, the rest of the church age, the tone is set. Christ is with His people by the Spirit always, and especially when the church gathers together on the Lord's Day Sabbath. Would you turn back to Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12? We've already read this text. Um, preachers love this text, by the way. It's, 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 a, it's a very encouraging text for, for pastors. Um, Remember on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Luke says to us, uh, Luke is there with Paul and the Christians in this place. Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, 
And he prolonged his speech until midnight. So don't complain about my long sermons, every pastor or preacher says. Listen to Paul. He preached until midnight. Now, of course, it was Paul. And they were eager to hear him because it's Paul. And I'm just me. But still, don't complain about my sermons. Uh, They're not that long. In fact, uh, even Paul had trouble, I guess, uh, with with yawning during his sermons. Uh, Even worse than that, this young man, Eutychius, he was sitting at the window. He actually sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked longer and longer. So I'm not the only one that has trouble with this. Even Paul himself put people to sleep with his preaching. And he fell out of the third story window. The whole story um, develops here. But what is the... What is the point that I am making from Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12? It was on the first day of the week that Paul and Luke gathered with the disciples to do what? What were they doing? To break bread, the text says. Do you remember this terminology then from from the Gospels that Christ broke bread with His disciples uh, on that last Passover? He instituted the Lord's Supper. He made Himself known to the to the, uh, the disciples who were discouraged on the road to Emmaus uh, through the breaking of bread. And, and what is the early church doing? They're breaking bread together. They're gathering together to observe what we call the Lord's Supper. And this they are doing on the first day of the week. Uh, the saints at Troas in this instance gathered together, notice, not to say goodbye to Paul. Paul was on a journey. He's about to leave. The next day he would depart. They gather together not to say goodbye to Paul, but to break bread. And they do this on the first day of the week. And so it appears actually when we read the narrative here in Luke that Paul waited around to meet with the gathered church. He was in town prior to to this. And it seems as if he waited around. He delayed his journey so that he might have the opportunity to meet with the church assembled together on the Lord's day first day of the week, the day of Christ's resurrection, which is the Lord's Day Sabbath. And so it seems that this custom, having been established by Christ in His resurrection, was also continued by the early church as evidenced here by Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. Let us go now to 1 Corinthians 16.2. 1 Corinthians 16.2. Who wrote the book of Corinthians? Again, it is the Apostle Paul. Who is he writing to? He's writing to the church in Corinth. And here is what he says to them. Now concerning the collection for the saints, there was a need. Uh, The Jerusalem church was suffering. They were in poverty. And Paul, in his journeys, is doing many things. He's preaching, he's establishing the churches, he's encouraging them, but he's also taking up a collection to help meet the need of the Jerusalem church. Here is what he says to the Corinthians, as I directed the churches of Galatia. So not only did I say this to you, but I said the same thing to the churches in the region of Galatia. So also are you, you are to do this. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. It's just mentioned in passing here. Paul is actually addressing something else altogether besides the Sabbath day, of course. But he's addressing the collection that is being taken up for the needy saints in Jerusalem. But he says that you're to do this when? On which day? 
on the first day of the week. He is not talking just to individual Christians that you, on the first day of the week, are to set something aside in your house. But the point is this, as the Lord has blessed you, as as you have prospered, and as you are able, if you are willing, you're to set money aside, you're to give it to the church, so that it might be all collected together, so that when I come, you don't need to scrounge it all together and bring it into one place, but so that it's already there. This money needs to be set aside so that I can continue on on my journeys. And he's saying, this was the instruction that I'm giving to you, this is the instruction I'm giving to you in Corinth. It's the same instruction that I gave to the churches in Galatia. You're to do this on which day? Uh, The first day of the week it is to be done. When you gather together is the implication. Here the practice of the early church was to meet on Sunday, uh, which is the Lord's Day. It is the Christian Sabbath, the day of Christ's resurrection from the dead. Revelation 1.9. Revelation 1.9. Turn there with me. Again, what we are doing is we're just gathering up evidence from the book of Acts and also from the writings of the apostles, asking the question, was there a particular day approached as holy unto the Lord? Was there a particular day where the people of God seemed to gather together to to worship and to have fellowship with one another? So far, the evidence is yes. And when we come to the book of Revelation, we read this, Revelation 1, 9 through 11 I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia. And to Laodicea. Does this sound familiar to you? It doesn't seem like it was too long ago that we were studying uh, this very passage. Paul says, or excuse me, John says that he was in the Spirit uh, in the sermon series on the book of Revelation. I emphasized how this is to remind us of what the prophets said of old when they were given visions of, of spiritual things. They were said to be in the Spirit. But this phrase can also be understood as John saying, I was with the church. Uh, To walk in the Spirit or to be in the Spirit in the New Testament has to do with gathering together with the people of God. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit, remember. And so when we gather together, the Spirit is with us in a pronounced way. I think we are to imagine this, that John was together with the other Christians who were exiled on the island called Patmos. He was experiencing fellowship with them. And on, on what day was he doing this? John simply calls it the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day. This is the day that belongs to the Lord. It is the Lord's Day. And notice that John uses this phrase without any explanation at all, as if his readers will know the meaning of of this phrase. It's the first time and the last time that this phrase appears in the New Testament. John writing probably in the 80s A.D., He just uses this phrase without any explanation at all, as if the churches, when they receive his letter, will know exactly what he is talking about. Which day is the Lord's day? It is Sunday, the day of Christ's resurrection. Uh, John was in the Spirit on that day, and it is on that day that he received all of these visions that are recorded for us in uh, the book of Revelation. Notice it is the Lord's day. It is the day that belongs to the Lord. Uh, uniquely His. Again, I might ask the question, don't all days belong to the Lord? Of of course they do. 
but this is the Lord's day. It is the day that is set apart as holy and distinct. It is the day that is now blessed by God, uh, given that Christ has ushered in uh, the new creation. This one day in particular is the Lord's day. It is not your day, but His, rather. And so we have, again, evidence that, yes, the early church, the apostolic church, did consider one day out of seven as distinct, unique, holy. There was something different about it, something peculiar about this day. And which day is it? It is Sunday, the first day of the week, the day of Christ's resurrection. The apostolic church did indeed observe the Lord's Day, Sabbath. What about the early church? This is the second point of the sermon. The early church also kept the Lord's Day, Sabbath. How do we know this? Well, we know this from uh, considering the writings of the early church fathers. And I have to be honest with you, uh, there are some... I always have to be honest with you, right? Why do I say it? I don't know. Um, when you read the early church fathers, if you are not careful, you can actually come away with the impression that they are very much anti-Sabbatarians. Uh, what I mean by that is you can come away with the impression that they are very much against Sabbath-keeping. Um, but there needs to be something that... Something needs to be remembered, though, as we read the early church uh, fathers. Uh, though it might appear that they are anti-Sabbatarians, that they are constantly emphasizing that the Sabbath has been fulfilled by Christ and thus taken away, we have to remember that they are, in fact, talking about the Jewish Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath, along with all of the Sabbath and festival days associated with the Jewish Sabbath as prescribed under the law of Moses. I, I want for you to hear me. Um, very clearly, has the Sabbath been fulfilled by Christ and taken away? Now wait, it's not a trick question. Has the Sabbath been fulfilled by Christ and taken away? Uh, we might correctly say this, yes, it has. Has the Sabbath been fulfilled by Christ and taken away? Yes, it has in some respects. The seventh day Sabbath has been fulfilled by Christ and has therefore been removed. The seventh day Sabbath has been fulfilled by Christ and has been removed. Why? Because Christ has kept the law. He has done the work. He has entered into rest. He has fulfilled the requirement of which that seventh day Sabbath was a symbol. He has fulfilled the covenant of works. Uh, so too the Mosaic judicial Sabbath along with all the Sabbath festival days associated with it. Are we obligated, for example, to observe the Feast of Weeks or the Passover? Are we obligated to observe those things? The New Testament clearly says no. Why? Because they pointed to Christ and have been fulfilled by Him. And so oftentimes we do read in the early church fathers that they are preaching against uh, Sabbath keeping, but they have in view not the Sabbath principle altogether, that is the pattern of six and one. But what they have in view is the Jewish Sabbath, the seventh day Sabbath, the Mosaic Sabbath, the old covenant Sabbath. Christians are not obligated to keep that, nor are they obligated to keep the various festivals as prescribed in the days of Moses. The early church fathers were in fact very right to oppose old covenant Sabbath keeping, for the New Testament also opposes old covenant Sabbath keeping. Colossians 2.16 is a very interesting text, church, and we would be wrong to skip over it. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Colossae. Colossians 2.16 Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in, in questions of food and drink 
or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. This passage at first might seem to contradict everything that I have said in this sermon series. Many have taken it in that way. But doesn't Paul say that no one is to pass judgment on you in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath? In other words, isn't Paul saying that the whole Sabbath thing is gone? It is, it is done away with? No, in fact, what Paul is saying is that we are not bound to keep the Old Covenant Mosaic judicial Sabbath along with its festivals and, and new moons and feast days. Uh, those things have been fulfilled in Christ. What Leviticus has prescribed for the people of God are no longer because they pointed forward to Christ and have been fulfilled uh, by Him. In the same way, no one is to pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Uh, remember that for the Jewish people, they could not eat certain kinds of food. But what did Christ uh, say to Peter in his resurrection? Peter saw that vision, and down from heaven came this, this sheet, and all sorts of foods were on it, all sorts of animals, and they were things that were unclean to the Jewish people. And Peter, a Jew, was told to do what by Christ? It's such a strange text, really. But what does Christ say to Peter? Rise, kill, and eat. And Peter, as a Jewish man, says, Lord, I, I can't do it. Ever since I was a child, I've abstained from these things, seeking to be obedient to the law, that is, to the Mosaic law. I can't do it. Christ says to Peter once more, what I, what's been made clean, don't call unclean. What I've made clean, don't call unclean. In other words, something has changed. This, this old covenant, Mosaic judicial law, is no, more, is no longer binding on you, Peter. Though you be a Jew, you are now a Jew in Christ, and those laws regarding food do not apply to you any longer. Neither do the laws regarding the festivals and the new moons and the Sabbaths. The Sabbaths, Colossians 2.16. Those things are taken away. In the Greek, it is in the plural. Uh, those Sabbaths, those Sabbath days have been fulfilled by Christ and thus taken away. That's what Colossians is talking about. That's what Paul is dealing with. And that's what the early church fathers were writing against. This idea that the Christians were obligated to uh, obey these old covenant, these old covenant mosaic uh, laws. In fact, we do see in the book of Acts that the apostles, as I said before, would go up to the temple they would take certain vows. They would be involved with Jewish customs. Why were they doing it, though? Not because they were bound to. Not because they were obligated to in Christ, but so that they might preach the gospel first to the Jews. First to the Jews and then to the Greeks. And so did Christ fulfill the Sabbath and thus take it away? Yes, in a sense, He did. The Old Covenant Sabbath has been taken away. But the essence of the Sabbath commandment remains and will remain until we enter the fullness of the rest earned by Christ. Do you hear me in this? If we take all of the evidence into consideration, we see that something has changed. The Sabbath has passed away. Yes, that is true, but, but something of it remains. We see that the New Testament church, the apostolic and early church, had this practice of treating one day out of seven as holy unto the Lord. That pattern has not been removed. It is now called the Lord's Day. What should we call this day? I think we may call it the Lord's Day. That is the terminology used by John. I think it is also helpful to, to call it the Lord's Day Sabbath. And what does that emphasize? It emphasizes that this is something new. It is the Lord's Day. But it is, it is a continuation of, of the Sabbath principle that was instituted, first of all, when? At creation. 
and has been with the people of God ever since, up until this present day. John Owen, I think, uh, prefers that terminology. Let us call it the Lord's Day Sabbath. That is what it is. It is the Lord's Day Sabbath, something new and different from what was present under the Old Covenant, but not something altogether separated from the Sabbath day that was instituted at the time of creation. A new pattern has been established by Christ by virtue of His resurrection. We now rest and worship on the first day of the week, which is the Lord's Day in remembrance of Him, and then work by the grace of God that He supplies in the six days that follow. The early church fathers, uh, though they sound anti-Sabbatarian from time to time, uh, they are also clear that they viewed Sunday, the Lord's Day, as the new covenant replacement of the Saturday, seventh-day, Old Covenant Sabbath. Uh, This is clear in their writings. Take Justin Martyr, for example, who in the second century wrote these words, And on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place. In the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read. Isn't that cool? What was the practice of the early church? People would come to one place, they would gather together, those who were in Christ, And what would they do? They would read the memoirs, the writings of the apostles or the writings of the prophets. Sunday is the day on which we all hold our common assembly, Justin Martyr says, because it is the first day on which God, having wrought out a change in the darkness and matter, made the world and Jesus Christ our Savior on the same day rose from the dead. So what does Justin Martyr refer to as the basis for their uh, meeting on Sunday? Two things. He does reference creation, doesn't he? He talks about God making the world. But in particular, he, he makes reference to what God did on the very first day of creation. This is interesting. What did God do on the very first day of creation? Uh, my view is that he indeed called everything into existence. But what did he first separate on, the, on day one, light from darkness, day one. And what did Christ do except separate light from darkness in his life, in his burial, in his, his resurrection? Uh, so here, Justin Martyr, the point needs to be made. He says, Sunday is the day that we gather for worship. And why do we do it? In remembrance of creation, and it now by virtue of the coming of the Christ, in remembrance of Christ's resurrection from the dead. This was the practice of the early church. Clement of Alexandria, who lived from 150 to 215 AD, uh, wrote concerning how the Christian Sabbath is to be kept. Uh, So this gets into the the practicality of it. He's giving instruction to the Christians, saying this is what you should do, and this is how you should approach the Lord's Day Sabbath. Uh, Women and men are to go to church decently attired with natural step Embracing silence, possessing unfeigned love, pure in body, pure in heart, fit to pray to God. Now I know not how people change their fashions and manners with the place. He's about to start to gripe about the practice of the church and the low view of the Sabbath day, I guess, that existed even in this time. He's saying, I don't know how people so quickly change, though. They come to church properly attired with their hearts prepared, but they so quickly uh, run away from 
from this and go on to other things. So they lay aside the inspiration of the assembly after their departure from it. They become like others with whom they associate. They go the way of the world, he complains. After having paid reverence to the discourse about God, they leave within, that is, they, they leave within the church what they have heard. So, they're so they, they come to church, which is good, but they walk away and they so quickly forget what they hear. They go the way of the world. Clement of Alexandria wrote this in his lifetime, end of the second century AD. And outside, what do they do? They foolishly amuse themselves with impious playing and amatory qu- quavering, occupied by flute playing and dancing and intoxication and all kinds of trash. You know. So here's a pastor who's frustrated, I think, with how low a view uh, the church in his day had of the Sabbath day. They came to church, that is good, but they did not observe the day as holy, but only gave a part of the day uh, to the worship of God. And then they went the way of the world immediately. So it's clear that Clement was frustrated with the churches, their careless observation of the Lord's Day Sabbath. Even in his day, and evidently men and women would go to church and then about their business just as they do today, I think, oftentimes. Chrysostom, who wrote in 347, or lived from 347 AD to 407, so a little bit later in church history, he has similar words to say, but he strikes a much more positive tone. He is giving instruction concerning the observance of the Sabbath day. He says, For we ought not, as soon as we retire from the communion, what does he call the church service? The gathering together of the church is called the communion. We have fellowship together centered around the Lord's table. But as soon as we get home, this is what we should do. We should take our Bible into our hands and we should call our wife and children to join us in putting together what we have heard and then not before engage in the business of life. What should we do? How should we observe the Lord's day? Not just by attending church and then running off and engaging in worldly affairs. But when we get home, we should take our Bible into our hands, and and he calls it putting together what we have heard. We should go about the business of putting together what we have heard. In other words, we should enter into discourse, conversation about the Word of God that has been preached. We should open the Scriptures even in the home. He is here imploring the Christian to honor the Lord's day, not just the Lord's hour or two. When you retire from the communion you must account nothing more necessary than that you should put together the things that have been said to you. Yes, for it were the utmost folly, while we give up five or six days to the business of life, not to bestow on spiritual things so much as one day, or rather, no so much as a small part of one day. Therefore, let us write it down as an unalterable law for ourselves, Chrysostom says, for our wives and for our children, to give up this one day of the week entire to hearing and to the recollection of the things which we have heard. So, more passages could be cited from from the early church fathers, but we have heard from a few of them. Justin Martyr, Clement of Alexandria, Chrysostom. Isn't it clear that to the early church, one day out of seven was different. It was distinct. It was a day that was holy, set apart for the things of God, set apart for the worship of God. And isn't it clear that it's not just the corporate worship of God that the early church fathers were concerned to promote, but also the whole day being approached as a day that is holy unto the Lord, where after gathering together with the church to hear the word of God preached and to sing together and to have fellowship and communion together, were to go about 
uh, not the business of life, but we're to go about continuing to discourse about the things of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, I think we can grow in these things. I believe that this is the clear teaching of Scripture, that the people of God today are still to observe one day out of seven as holy unto the Lord, and it is Sunday, the first day of the week, the day of Christ's resurrection. We call it the Lord's Day Sabbath, and rightly so. It is a day that is distinct from all the others, and it is for our good. It's to be a blessing to us. I, I hope you understand that I am, I, I'm, I'm lingering here on this subject, not just to prove a point, not just to convince you of a doctrine, uh, but I'm lingering here on the subject of the Lord's Day Sabbath because I think this is going to be a tremendous benefit to us. It is truth, and therefore it must be preached. But because it is truth, and it is God's truth, it is also for our good that we cease from the busyness of life, that we settle down, that we approach this day as holy to give God the worship that is due His name and also to do business with Him, to feed our souls. That is my prayer, brothers and sisters, that we would be more contemplative on the Lord's Day, that Christ would be the center of our discussion more and more on the Lord's Day. I know the thing that is still on all of your minds is, okay, so what can't I do on the Sabbath, on the Lord's Day Sabbath? And I would still urge you, I, I will address things more directly next week, I think. But I would still urge you to not ask that question, what can't I do on the Lord's Day Sabbath? But to ask yourself this question instead, what is fitting for this day? What sort of activity is fitting for this day? Given everything that I know about the Sabbath, what it symbolizes, its purpose, the reason for which God gave it first to Adam and then to the people of God in every age. Now that I know all of this concerning the Sabbath day, what should I be doing? What, what activities fit with the purpose of this day? And, still, and so instead of beginning with that negative question, what, what does God say I can't do? We ask, what do I get to do on this day uh, for my good and for the glory of God. I really do believe, brothers and sisters, that this is for the good of your soul. I do believe that the Sabbath day should be a delight to you, that it should be something that you look forward to, that you savor, that you enjoy, that we're able to put away the busyness of life and we're able to engage in a prolonged focus on the things of God. Are you delighting yourself in the Lord's Day Sabbath? I had a very busy week this past week to the point of, man, I, th I, was about, I could hardly roll over in bed last night because we were moving and my back was sore. And It was so nice to wake up uh, uh, in, in the morning and, and to think, this is a day for rest and worship. And I long for it. I need it so badly just to sit and, and to refuse. We still have moving to do, right? We still have painting to do, and none of it's going to be done today. We're going to rest. We're, we've worshipped. We're going to talk about the things of the Lord together as a family. We're going to have fellowship and, and how badly we need that very thing. It should be something that we delight in to be able to put away the busyness of life and to focus on the things of God. Are you delighting in the Sabbath day, the Lord's Day Sabbath? And are you encouraging others to delight in the day as well? That would another, be another point of application that I would ask of you. Are you encouraging others to delight in the Sabbath day as well? Not by laying down the law for them, imposing it upon them in a strict and external manner, but by saying, let us worship the Lord together. Let us be refreshed by Him. Let us give our attention to Him so that we might adore Him all the more, so that our souls might be encouraged by Him on this holy day. Brothers and sisters, I pray it is so. I pray that this will grow more and more in our hearts, a desire to keep 
God's Word, and all things. Christ is to be the center of our lives, isn't He? And I think in this way, by honoring Him even with our time, He indeed is shown to be Lord of all. Let us bow together for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word, which is so rich. Uh, We thank You uh, that You have called us to worship Yourself. Your Word is clear that You are to be worshipped. Uh, Indeed, Lord, uh, we are grateful that you have not left us without instruction, too, as to how you are to be worshipped. Lord, we need it. Uh, We need it because we are your creature and you're the creator. Uh, We would be left to wonder, Lord, about these things had you not revealed it to us. But we need it all the more now that we have fallen into sin because, Lord, our hearts direct us in every other way besides the way of righteousness. So we thank you for your word, which is a light to our path. May we see it as such. May we seek to honor you in all things, God. We know it is for your glory, but we do trust also it will be for our good, Lord, that our souls, our hearts will be strengthened if we would do these things. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ today that they would not quickly run out of uh, this church service, this assembling together, uh, and, and forget the things that they have heard, but that they would continue on, Lord, to focus on you all this day. Now, Father, we trust that your church will be strengthened by these things. Uh, do what we pray for your glory. In Christ's name we say these things, and all of God's people say, Amen.